0: This is The Filus Club, episode 110 for June 2018. everyone and welcome back to the Phileas Club this is a show where we cover the news from the past month with a well it's not really the news from the past month we go over the world really and try to get you opinions and views on the news that have been big in each local country we're going to be talking about and uh, the idea is that you're going to get different uh backgrounds and opinions on all of those things hopefully it brings you uh, different perspectives my name is Patrick Beja I am I guess now half from France and half from Finland Uh, I spend a lot of time in Finland since we had a baby a few uh, months ago and uh, I am joined by three wonderful people Uh, Tom Merritt from the United States of America how's it going Tom
1: I'm doing well. Uh, I uh, Do you want to call it Franland or Fintz? Or, or Fintz <laughs> sounds hip, but at the same time weird.
0: <laughs> so I don't know if it would work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're joining us uh, from the US. And I hear uh, there's quite a kerfuffle happening in the US and something that's making the news. Um, and quite a bit of, of outrage, um, which... It's about this, a, a you're lane describing that's been every
1: week of the past year and a half. I was going to yes, go with yes. the <laughs>
0: fantastic joke of the uh, lane that's been closed in the road near your where
1: you live. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Uh, the Great Streets Program of Mayor Garcetti here in Los Angeles has caused quite a stir. Uh, shutting down in, in my neighborhood, one lane on Venice Boulevard. There's terrible cut, stop cut through traffic signs in people's yards. There is outrage. You're absolutely right. I I really think, you know, the the
0: people in charge should do something about that. Um, We also have two... Well, you probably know Tom, I'm guessing, if you've listened to the show before. Uh, But we have two newcomers. We have William, who is originally from Ireland and currently in Germany. And we have Shahiran. I'm trying to pronounce it with like a cool accent. uh, Who's from Brunei. (laughs) Is is it good,
2: Shahiran? (laughs) Yes, that's good, that's good. My full name is Shahiran Sharifuddin bin Sharani Muhammad, but Shah is good. Okay, okay, wait, say it again, I'm <laughs> going to try to go for it. Shahiran Sharifuddin bin Sharani Muhammad.
0: Okay, I have to get your, uh, you, you sent it to me, I'm going to try to read it.
2: <laughs> I, because I right. take
0: pride in being able to pronounce uh, people's names, even when they're a bit different. Uh, so Shahiran Sharifuddin bin, Shahir, bin Sharani, Damn it, bin Chahrani <laughs> so Muhammad. He was almost there. Almost there. Almost there. Bin Shahrani. Imagine
2: having to write that down on like three multiple forms, right? You know, my hand gets really tight. <laughs>
0: so this is your official name. You actually have to write all of this when you want to yes. do any any official business. Handy. Yes. <laughs> uh, So, as we mentioned, you're from uh, Brunei, and uh, we'll give you a couple of minutes to tell us about you in in just a moment, but also, as I did mention, we have William, William Campbell, from uh, from Germany slash Ireland, Uh, you're currently in Germany, and you are the host of the Challenging Opinions podcast, which... It, you describe as constructive, which is much better than the way we tried to describe it earlier before we started the show. Um, it
3: can be it can be confrontational sometimes, but I do try to be constructive. and I think it's important to talk to people who you disagree with. there's there's too many people stuck in their own silo.
0: Brother this is exactly what we've been trying to do on this show hopefully we succeed uh but yeah so thanks for being on everyone um so as i said you probably know tom already so i'm just going to push him aside for a second and give a couple of minutes to william and Shahiran to tell us about themselves um so can you tell us a few words about uh, who you are and where you're coming from so the audience knows a little bit about you uh let's start with william
3: Oh um, God! I have to. I, I feel like I'm the new kid in the class at school again. Um, <laughs> Please I get up in front from, of the of the class. I'm, and uh... I, I'm from Dublin in Ireland. Um, I have worked at various jobs, mostly entrepreneurial types. But for the past couple of years, I've been mostly. I still have my house in Dublin, but I've been mostly living in Berlin in Germany. Because sometimes it's just, um, I don't know, good to get away. It's an exciting place to live. Um, And I probably have too much of an interest in politics and current affairs, and that comes out (laughs) in the podcast. I try to talk to a different person every week. I generally keep that up. And I probably go to try to talk more to the people I disagree with, and that can be either alt-right bloggers or um maybe conservative radio talk show hosts not always uh, on the right i would talk to other people as well and try to not get into the situation where you have everybody agreeing with each other so you respectfully politely but push back against people's opinions and ask them the hard questions
0: yeah i think listeners of this show uh, hopefully if i do my job well will be familiar with the the concept um yes. so thanks for yeah okay tom tom agrees Thank you. I have Tom's seal of approval. <laughs> um, and uh, so thank you for joining us. And Shahiran, what about you? Can you tell us a few words about yourself? Hello?
2: Um, oh. oh. I had... Oh, hello? Yes, oh. yes. You're, um, yeah, yeah. It's just, you had, know, it's very far prepared. away. So. <laughs> yeah, I had something prepared, but I forgot. Okay. I was <laughs> to say. I'll start with like, uh, oh, um, um, I'm, I work in the government. In Brunei, I used to work for the government in Brunei. Um, I work as a health promotion officer, and then we used to do like um, health programs, national programs for the whole country. Um, <laughs> and that's about <laughs> that, it, I suppose. Um, yeah. And I, <laughs> how old are yeah, you again? But, oh, I'm 58. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> and you, you spent a few years in uh, in the West as well. Just for people who don't know uh, what Brunei yes. is. Uh, it's basically a small uh, nation in, uh, uh, in um, the southeastern Asia. And Borneo. it's a relatively small country, right? It's like 500,000 uh, inhabitants, the population.
2: We used to own the whole Borneo. And that's why we, Borneo actually got the name from Brunei, the early European explorers. The whole island of Brunei was at uh, the whole island of Borneo was just Brunei at the time. But, of course, the British happened, and that's how we ended
1: up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I yeah, people
2: from Ireland they agree. degree. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they, know, they know the feeling. All right, cool. Well, thank you, everyone. Uh, and uh, that's it. We, we're done. Thank you for joining. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Tom, <laughs> so in all seriousness, what the hell is happening in your country? Um, <laughs> just that simple question yes it's just, it's just it should take you about a couple of minutes to explain and really uh, to everyone explain. will be happy and uh, so i mean obviously i think we have to talk about the 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 illegal immigrant issue and specifically about the uh, children separation i don't know that anyone needs explaining about the issue but maybe they do um so can you Take us through that whole scandal that has been going on for the past few weeks
1: sure and 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 remember i, I don't claim to be an expert uh, in these matters, uh, but it, it has been well covered and one of the things that's trickiest about covering anything in the United States or discussing anything in the United States right now is there's a rather mundane and normal reality underpinning a ridiculous uh, and overblown rhetoric, which sometimes makes it hard to tell, well how much worse is it than it has been before And the reason I say that is separating children from families in in immigration related detention uh, is not new it was it was done under the Bush administration, it was done under the Obama administration and immigration lawyers in the United States were fighting the Obama administration under, sort of, uh, you know, obscurity. It was not a covered issue because it was done at a much smaller scale and in much fewer instances. There was a great thread on Twitter from an immigration lawyer talking about a an interaction with President Obama in a receiving line once about this. And so Republicans, or not even Republicans, but partisans of President Trump have been using that to say, well, Obama did it too. The difference is, The Trump administration has increased that or did increase that to apply to every immigration situation, uh, which led to a logistical nightmare uh, uh, along with a human rights nightmare where massive amounts of children were being separated uh, as they came across the border. The argument being a zero tolerance policy would discourage people from trying to get into the country with their families. And, and, and in some ways they were saying, and this is better for children because they shouldn't be brought into these situations. Uh, however, almost everyone disagreed that that was <laughs> an end that justified these means. And as of yesterday morning, President Trump signed an executive order ending that policy. Uh, but it was all done, as far as we can tell, as a way to try to force through immigration reform in congress because the president kept saying well if you'd change the law then we wouldn't have to do this
0: and okay there's so much to unpack in there um i think the 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 way we so you're you're always i love you tom because you always try to explain things in a dispassionate way which it feels to me maybe you can tell me if i'm wrong but i think in this case There's always passions run very high in the US and the partisanship always makes every issue into something more than it is. But it seems to me that in this case, uh, as you incredibly uh, uh, (laughs) calmly put it, almost everyone disagreed with the policy. (laughs) That
1: is code for it was a terrible policy. Um oh, It and, was an unnecessary, and, in my opinion, it was an unnecessary policy. Well, uh, beyond it, it that, was, it, and it seems to the motivation seems to have been uh, as a political bargaining move rather than any kind of real attempt to solve an immigration-related problem.
3: And I think and Tom, every, Tom, Tom, William here. Can I just ask because there was the case of one of the children, a ten-year-old girl with Down syndrome. Are you actually saying that? she being separated from her parents and obviously not having the capability to understand why was essentially being used as a bargaining chip by the Trump administration against the Democrats.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I when you put it that way, it makes it sound even worse, which, you know, that's, that's fine. They didn't consider whether any one individual had down syndrome or not. Uh, they put in a policy saying, we know this will cause an uproar, uh, whether, you know, for for any, for any all kinds of reasons, and that will help force people to the negotiating table because everyone will want this to end. And in the end, the president blinked and he signed the executive order. So it doesn't seem like it worked.
3: Well, well you, say, thing- you say that do, Tom, sorry to... Oh, go in, ahead, Patrick, go ahead. But wait. I really just want to nail mm-hmm. Tom down on this, uh, metaphorically speaking. There were, uh, you know, I don't really believe that President Trump thinks so far ahead to the end of his sentence very often it (laughs) seems a little bit of a stretch to think that he had gamed out this entire thing in advance and if he had he did that incredibly badly it really does seem and i will search for the article while i let you answer it really does seem that this was a policy that was pushed by one of his staffers who essentially wanted to create this crisis permanently As a deterrent deterrent. against, yeah, uh, as as a deterrent, Mm -hmm. and essentially using children not only against the Democrats but also using them against uh, their own parents, for example.
1: Oh, certainly, yeah, no, and I mentioned that this was also seen as a way to deter immigrants from coming in because, hey, look what will happen to your children. Uh, As with anything, you know, there isn't a answer to why something happens. Uh, There's probably a staffer that says, hey, this let's let's push this deterrent factor. And somebody says, yeah, that'll cause an uproar. And someone says, but that's OK, because that'll help us push the bargaining table. So, yes, you're absolutely right. uh,
0: You know, you're you're describing it very matter of factly, which I I appreciate 99.9 percent of the fact I think here we're kind of doing this situation as a service by by describing it so, uh, uh, you know, neutrally, because the act of deciding to push this, because the big difference is that it became a zero tolerance policy. I think everyone understands that sometimes you do need to separate the children from their parents for various reasons, sometimes legal. But but also,
1: under the Obama administration, they were doing it in in camps, there. It wasn't just sometimes. It was this particular type of immigrant is. Go, we're going to do that to. And there was, a, I think, a camp in Missouri uh, that where children were 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 separated. But it was small. Right, uh, right. This 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 ec- expanded it drastically. From what
3: length of period?
1: And, and well, it's it's lasted for. It's been happening for
0: a
3: long time. I mean, even in Europe, we
1: have cases. No, no but where, how, how
3: long would children be separated from their parents?
1: Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. It was it was the same as as it was described by the immigration lawyer I was reading. It was it was equivalent to what's being done now, just mm. at a much smaller scale. And and to your point about neutrality, uh, Patrick, I do get myself into the position of realizing that everyone else is yelling, <laughs> and so I feel like, well, there's plenty of outrage. I I don't see any shortage of that. So to try to wrap my head around it, I I try to approach it the way I'm approaching it. But but yes, uh, it, it was unconscionable. To To do this at this scale, I think it's unconscionable to do it at all. I don't think President Obama was right to do it. I don't think President Bush was right to do it. I absolutely do not think that President Trump was right to do it.
0: I, yeah, I think there there are ways, as you just did, to say that whether or not you agree without descending into the screaming match, which again, you know, I, I very often try to not scream too much uh, on Twitter, but to be firm but not to scream. In this case, it felt like there was an, – and the, the zero tolerance policy does change things when, when it gets to yes. this scale. And then it, it is not the same thing. And the idea that you would weaponize uh, separating children from their parents in order to deter um, few, you know further immigration is, is, is objectionable in itself.
1: Um, and there's yeah. debate about whether it's even effective.
0: Right. And, and you know, there was this this statement by the White House saying, well, we don't do it to everyone. But then they were saying that immigrants are, are criminals, which they're not. It's a misdemeanor to cross the border, as I'm sure everyone has heard by now. Um, and they're criminals. So basically they give up their right to not have this done to them. So they were contradicting themselves in the same sentence almost. And then they were saying but if you have documentation proving that you're uh, related to the person you're traveling with, then you don't get separated. Then that means that as a deterrent, which is admittedly what they were doing, you just need the people to have a passport and then it's fine. So it's, the deterrent isn't to not come. It's just to come without uh, with your passport or with whatever documentation is needed. And it it didn't hold up. And I think what is the most interesting in this whole debacle, now that uh, President Trump has signed the executive order, um, is not really whether or not it was objectionable. I think most people, even on the right, I think most people would agree were very uncomfortable with this policy. So,
1: yeah, John John McCain, Laura Bush, uh, Melania Trump, all opposed the policy. (laughs) And
0: and I think even people in, in like the public, the regular people, I'm sure... Very mm-hmm. few of them, only the diehards were uh, uh, thought, yeah, let's use this. And because it's, it's cruelty, it's, it's seriously cruel to do it as a deterrent. But I think the most interesting thing is to go back and, and listen or even list the people who were defending the policy and defending the administration deciding this policy without. Fail, Which you can point to Fox News, but even people on Fox News were were kind of uh, uh, ambivalent about this, some of them. But I think it's a sign that if some people were defending this policy strongly as somewhere, it's really a sign that they either honestly believe that this cruelty was necessary or that they are, you know... I don't want to say they just don't have beliefs in anything. They're just defending the president and his administration for the sake of he could do anything and it would be defended by them is what. Yeah. I mean.
1: And 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 that's always true of of the, you know, the base for any candidate. Well, I think uh, whatever this is they a different, do will th- be defended. This well, is well, different, Tom, well, because me, this hold is on, clearly hold on. I'm getting to the different Right. Right. <laughs> you didn't let me get to that. But <laughs> uh, But there are issues like this that will whittle that base down. And in fact, I I think what people don't realize is you you will have folks out there who were defending this because they're like, you know what, this is this is my president. And so I'm going to defend him in the back of their mind, doubting it. And when he signed that executive order, probably probably weakened his position with those people, because yeah. we we tend to make the rhetorical mistake of identifying what people say with what they believe. And that doesn't always match up. And what causes surprise election results is people continuing out of inertia to say what they've been saying, but change their beliefs and not say that out loud. Very few political issues have that effect. This is the kind that can, I think. Right. Uh, where some people who even still were out there saying, Oh, but come on, this is, you know, we have an immigration problem and you got to get tough. Probably I'm going to guess it weakened some of their belief because you see these images and you see what's happening and you say, you know, in the back of your mind, well, I don't want to say this out loud because I'm loyal really, is this, is this good? Mm. I'm not sure how much of an effect that has, but I think it does have an effect.
0: Uh, Probably to an extent. And I think the, the issue, the immigration issue is very real um, for many, many countries, but it kind of dips into this, does something we've been talking about on this show, how far do you go? Like, it does everything (laughs) justify, does the end justify the means in every case? And, yes, you do have an immigration problem. I was joking, well, not joking, but uh, commenting yeah. on Twitter that if something, you know, if the idea is to deter uh, immigration, then why stop at separating children, which is clearly cruel, and I think everyone would agree. Just separating them in, with the intent of doing that, just, you know, shooting them would be more deterring. Or <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking. Yeah, right. I mean, obviously, I'm joking. But... This is, when you reach a level that can be described by most people as cruel, I don't think it's, you know, this, uh, as ridiculous Hello? as it would be otherwise. Sorry, Shah, you, you're, you've, I think you've been trying to intervene, but your internet is not cooperating. But I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about this, if you heard about it at all. Hello? Yes, we're hearing you. Shah, can
3: you hear us? I guess you can't hear us, damn it. Patrick, Patrick if I might come in there. Uh, this is William. Um, the uh, I found the article that I was uh, referring to earlier. Mm. Uh, Stephen Miller is the man's name. He is a speechwriter for Trump. He is not somebody who gets his name in the paper as often as other members of Trump's team. That's possibly deliberate. Um, but the... Uh, Atlantic, which is where I'm reading from this from, is getting uh, this, uh, quoting the New York Times, and it said that Miller had a, uh, key play, a key part to play in the behind-the-scenes role in advancing the new border policy. And this is the quote, no nation can have the policy that whole classes of people are immune from immigration law or enforcement, he said during an interview in his West Wing office uh, this past week. It was a simple decision by the administration to have zero-tolerance policy for illegal entry, period. The message is that no one is exempt from immigration law. Privately, Mr. Miller argued that bringing back z- zero-tolerance would be a potent tool in a severely limited arsenal of strategies for stopping migrants from flooding across the border. And in April, after the border numbers reached their zenith, Mr. Miller was instrumental in Mr. Trump's decision to ratchet up the zero-tolerance policy that's pretty clear that that was not an Obama policy that was continuing. This was a new policy. And it's also very clear, and the BBC are reporting, and just their headline, paediatric and child trauma experts are sounding the alarm that separating migrant children from their parents at the US border can cause serious physical and psychological damage. Yeah, um, I think- that's That's very little short of... Bribing parents with the threat of child abuse against their children.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is this is a, a good description of why um, of why basically absolute absolutism is mm-hmm. never a good idea. When you go zero tolerance or everything is white or black, then you get into situations. Well, this one especially where. Anyway, Sha, are you are you back? Can you can you hear us? Damn it! It seems he's having
1: internet issues. I, uh, that's too bad. Yeah. Um. I would like to hear what he has to say. Yeah, as well. Me too. And, and and to add to what William said, our uh, Andrew Free, uh, who's also I M M Civil Rights on Twitter, is the one who was explaining the policy that the Obama administration had on family detention uh and I think it was in Kansas City he says uh where they they had the uh the the separation happening but it was a different policy it was it was a it was an immigration related policy but it was a different policy right
0: well I mean yeah I do think that in this case oh oh, you're back Yay! Hello.
2: It's a rainy season, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> no what, worries. What did I miss? <laughs> uh, we, we were discussing this, uh, this child separation policy, and we kind of came to a conclusion, but I'm curious to hear what happened, you know, if it was discussed in, in Brunei,
2: and how it was discussed, uh, if it was. Well, um, I think we talked about, maybe we'll come to it later, I forgot to say the, uh, my present situation that we were going to talk about, but um, I've been pretty isolated the past year or so, so I haven't been talking to many people, but to those few that I have talked to about this issue, um, you see, the, America used to be this castle on the hill for Brunayans, you know? Mm. And it's weird. It's weird to see well, it, that reputation has degraded throughout the years, especially after 9-11 and the Iraq invasion. But this was something we didn't, we couldn't see America doing it it was a, I, a lot of people saw well not, the very few people I talked to said it was a little bit too far uh, a line too far, and they were saying um, well, and I was thinking um, if America do it, what's going to stop other more um
0: less reputable
2: regimes, <laughs> less reputable <laughs> regimes from mm. uh doing the same? Because we have the Rohingya crisis here closer to home, that in Bangladesh, and then what's going to stop them? Burma from, well, not Burma now, it's called Myanmar, Myanmar from separating children from families to to act as a deterrent? They're not going to look at whether it works or not. They're just Mm. going to see, well, the Americans did it. Why can't we?
0: I I think this is a very good point that I should have made earlier myself. The the way it affects America's image, you know, I also tweeted uh, earlier in the week that... For all its good and bad, America was our leader. You know, yeah, there was shady things happening in the US and, you know, the CIA was doing things outside of the country and it's not like the the country was perfect, but it was our, and still is, our leader in the West. Whether we like it or not, that's the way it was and, and to an extent is. But this kind of shit affects that. We don't, you know, you don't want to, you're not just not, you know, you're not just not looking up to the country. You're actually kind of a little bit disgusted. You look away. And I think this is a continuing trend which has taken a a very steep downslope with this latest issue, um, which honestly... I think every American should be concerned about. Um, And it's not just about, oh, we don't want to pay for everyone's defense. You know, that's not just, that's just not what it's about. It's about who you are as a country. You know, America is portraying itself as, you know, we love superhero movies. I'm going to speak for myself. I love superhero movies. In superhero (laughs) movies, this is the ideal. You're, you're, trying to emulate you know it's like the the gods and the champions and the stories we tell each other you try to save the people right you you have you stand for something and when you witness things like this it it damages your image and it's not about oh but this is fantasy this is the real world It, it goes you know fantasy has its claws into the real world as well or its roots or it's whatever you want to call it um, so this does affect that, and looking at it from the outside, we're like we're. I think we're all shaking our
3: heads, thinking, "What has happened to you?" It's it's almost. Can, can I add to that, Patrick? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, um, it is possibly some you know defenders of the current regime in the United States might say, "Hang on a second, you're holding us to a higher standard," and that's true. We are. But the real response to that is, you know, what standard do you want to be held to? Do you want to be compared to m- murderous, undemocratic regimes? Is that the standard that you're setting for yourself? Mm. And the, I, think, uh,
1: the, yeah. I, I will tell you what the, the defenders of the Trump administration usually say on these kinds of, of, of things, and I don't pretend to speak for them, but uh, what they usually say is we don't care. We don't care what the rest of the world thinks about us. It, we're America first, uh, so who cares what those folks think? And I, I feel like that's a, that's a dangerous uh, way to approach things because we're all on this planet together, and it does matter uh, what people think about you. I'd say it's even more than that. It's more than just it does
0: matter – what people think about you it matters what you think about yourself and the real danger is when you start thinking about yourself yeah we're a country where we we cruelly intentionally separate children and parents in order to i think this is an important you know inflection point in order to deter further immigration we're willing to inflict pain not knowing that it's necessary because we need to separate the the kids and the families for x or y reason but in order to deter we don't care about the pain we're d- going to do it 100% of the time that will teach them you know that is how you view yourself and i think thankfully most of the country was
1: not comfortable with that so right. uh, but the troubling fact is is the percentage that seemed to be okay with it that's the troubling part thankfully the majority well, what is didn't, that percentage but- tom I mean, who knows? We don't uh, you, know. There, there's yeah. all different polling uh, numbers out there, but they, they range around 20 to 30%.
0: And I think most of these people have supported because, as you said, this is Trump's policy and they're behind Trump. So they they kind of don't really think about it too much, I don't think. But anyway, you know... It's, it's not like we're perfect here in Europe. I mean, there have been stories coming up about uh, child separation happening in France and increasing because we're getting tougher on immigration. Uh, I would like to think that in those cases, it wasn't a zero tolerance and F you, we going to do it, no matter, you know, we don't care. It was because it was necessary because of the circumstances. But it's certainly... Can I
2: just, yeah, go ahead. Can I just say, um, yeah, um, I've been hearing a bit about that too. And I think it's really important that Europe and America, I, you guys are moving that way. That's obvious, right? Um, it used to be when I was working like a, few, uh, a while back, and it, it was, we always had this in our head, that the gold standard, that even though we uh, live in a completely different regiment from you guys, right? and we don't really believe in democracy at all, but we always held ourselves to, that is where we want to be. We want to show that we, even though we are a monarchy, we can be as compassionate as people in the West are. But if you guys are going down the standard, then, you know, we, we don't have anything to live up to. I mean, it's like, well, we're just good as as good as them. So we don't really need to improve. Mm-hmm. We don't really need to go towards that direction anymore. And that kind of, oh, that worries me.
0: I mean, I think it worries everyone. On the other hand, I think many people in in the West would say, as Trump supporters would say, well, you know, we're not the buffet table for the world, which I understand can be argued against, but it's the same in in France uh, and in the EU. You know, m- migration and migrants are a very serious problem. And yes, it's easy to say, oh, but we have a lot of, uh, you know, we have a lot of means and we could spare some for them. And just, it's it's true on the other hand that, this is not a, a long-term solution, and as difficult it might be to take these measures, you know, there, there's, I mean, there would be room and and food for everyone if the the uh, civilized, well, the Western world was willing to cut it its its, uh, let's say, to simplify things, to cut its income by, you know. Three, a factor of three or whatever, like a, a third. or But that's not how it works, but I, that's how it feels. And if you let a lot of people in, obviously, there's, you, you have unemployment issues and a number of issues and cultural issues, many, many uh, uh, very serious problems, which are sometimes imagined, sometimes real, but that affect the entire continent, the entire union. Um, And that has been a a, a problem in France, in Germany, when Merkel said that she was going to be compassionate and welcome many, many migrants uh, in in Germany. Now she's seeing the blowback on this and we're having a lot, you know, the movement that got Trump in uh, the president's seat is happening maybe a little bit more modestly in every country in Europe. There is really uh, today's situation is the, the, the combat, the fight is between, uh, I, I would say, unionists or open people. And I don't <laughs> mean that as a uh, positive uh, characterization. I really try to use it as a neutral saying, yeah, come in and let's work together and let's work with other countries and let's be open and more nationalistic, sometimes populist movements who want to uh, recede from the union and and close their their borders and things like that. And this is a, a it isn't going away. It hasn't gone away, and it's a serious problem that every leader in. Uh, the EU has to contend with, including President Macron and uh, Chancellor Merkel, who are trying to put together a uh, proposal to strengthen the union. Um, and and that has that has been the, my basically it's my topic uh, as a whole. Um, they are trying to hold it together, and I don't know if it's going to work. Not sure. Um,
3: Patrick, Patrick, that was an interesting exposition. Can I come back on a couple of points on this? Oh, it? please do, please do. Okay. Um, first please of all, challenge I my
0: opinions, with. I will, I will do that, absolutely. <laughs>
3: first of all, I think that one of the most important things here is that the story that a country tells itself is important. And that's why I think it's particularly toxic for whatever Trump supporters, to the extent that they do, whatever Trump supporters say, we don't care what somebody thinks about us. Everybody cares what people think about them because it forms part of what they think about themselves. And if you look back to the foundation of the United States, you see um, the constitutional... constitutional principles that have spread around the world, and half the world is is ruled by a largely democratic government or other at the moment. And the United States talked about uh, freedom of expression and uh, various other liberties. But if you look at the time that that happened, they had slavery, they had other countless human rights uh, infringements, particularly against Native Americans, but the fact that they were telling themselves a story that at the time wasn't true made it become ever more true. And hmm. that's very important. And the fact exactly. that you have somebody coming in uh, uh, saying, we don't care about our reputation. We don't care about what anybody else thinks about us. And we don't care essentially about Anything other than uh, achieving our very short term goal that is destructive of the nation, to be frank, but it doesn't make it I untrue. It Say it, again, it
0: doesn't make it untrue. I think they don't care, I think they, they
3: it, just don't it may well it. be, but that is a nihilistic position, and is it and this way le- leads to chaos. I there agree. is, and no, that's why I'm s- not. In, 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 there, you know, there's nothing positive in that direction. But also, your characterization of uh, immigration, there are a whole range of issues there. And the first thing I would say is that whether if you're dealing, for example, with the war in Syria, it is blindingly obvious that... Whatever the solution is to the humanitarian crisis in in Syria, it's not evacuating the entire population of Syria into uh, Europe or any other third country. The solution to the war in Syria lies in Syria. But there are complex things that happen with discussions over immigration that often have very very little and sometimes nothing at all to do with immigration itself and that's what I think was going on here uh, this week with the uh, with the child separation debacle as you correctly called it I think that the uh, Corey Landowski's and the the Stephen Millers and Donald Trump w- truly, didn't care about that. They didn't care one way or the other because what they were doing was signalling to their base, and that was essentially what they what they wanted to do. They wanted to send a signal, and I think they grossly miscalculated that signal. I think that their base will not have appreciated that, and it will have weakened them amongst uh, swing voters, for example. Yeah. Um. But the. the I mean, this is where, for example, lying is absolutely corrosive. All politicians can be mendacious from time to time. But in fact, Trump aside, typically politicians make go to extraordinary lengths not to actually tell a lie. And they do that for a reason, because they know how politically important it is. So the fact that we now have a politician who is happy to lie and lie profusely and lie getting caught all the time and not care, that is a very bad signal.
0: Well, I think uh, most people would agree. Wait, wait, wait. I, I'm just not sure the, his follow, followers would agree. Uh, yes, Shah, go ahead.
1: Wait, wait. Trump lies? <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's his opponent's fault when he lies. Yes. Yeah. It's big news, um,
0: really. So, getting back to Europe, um, I mean that I pretty much covered it, but I'm I'm curious if you guys heard about it in the U.S. or in Brunei, um, our own um, struggles with immigration, and even more importantly, how it affects uh, the Union and the different countries where populism is rising uh, without stop. It seems.
1: Yeah, I did uh, follow the the Italian situation where um, uh, Prime Minister Rivera uh, or is a Rivera out, uh, in Spain uh, who had just taken over from Rajoy, uh, stepped forward and, and resolved the situation for the moment. Uh, but obviously, Italy is, is going to be thorny to deal with for a while. And I look at Europe and, and I realize Europe has a real migrant crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of Syria, because of Libya, in a way that the U.S. doesn't. Uh, The United States has a little bit of of a halo effect from those situations, uh, but largely illegal immigration or unauthorized immigration to the U.S. has been falling. Uh, It started to rise a little bit again in 2015 and 2016, but mostly from Asia, not necessarily too much from sub-saharan Af- africa or the middle east and north africa uh in fact according to the pew center 1992 uh it was three percent from middle east north africa and six percent in 2012 so it's a rise but it's not a huge rise whereas in europe i mean the the direct cause of the unease uh and the direct ability for for movements like five star to take advantage of that unease is those those crises crises Price, i
3: disagree
1: yeah. uh, go ahead William.
3: Um, I think, well, I used to live in Italy a long time ago, but I live there. And the five star movement, the genesis of that movement has little or nothing to do with immigration. The genesis of the five star movement is the, I would say, endemic. Corruption is the wrong word, but this scleroticism in the Italian economy whereby uh, inefficiency is so deeply built into the system and reform is so difficult to... Bring in because of the vested interests that benefit from every uh, everything. So, and I remember uh, when I was there to pay your electricity bill, you had to go to the uh, post office with notes of cash, and this was one of the ways of subsidising the the uh, uh, the post offices in Italy. That they did this business. Um, The Italian economy is really the sick man of Europe in in terms of the G7 economies it has there are some dynamic areas of the economy but they are being brought down by very expensive and very low quality uh, government uh, services also within the private sector there are some areas that have very poor levels of competition which mean that you get bad service and but, but I think anyone this is- who doesn't have connections in italy You have a lot of intelligent, well-educated people who don't have connections, who can't get any job.
1: Mm. And by the the way, it's Pedro Sanchez is the prime minister. I was confusing him with Rivera from Ciudadanos. I Mm. just want to correct that.
0: Um, I think what you're describing, William, is the actual cause for these movements. And it would probably be uh, similar in other countries, but the catalyst is and has always been you know i was talking about openness and closeness it's always been fear or anger at uh the the foreigners and this is there is now a real uh scarecrow to you know jiggle in front of your of your uh troops which is that crisis from the middle east so i think both are equally true but um uh let's move on to brunei um yeah. So, Sorry, I was just. <laughs> N- no worries. Okay. Uh, if there's anything you want to add to that, you know, second migrants uh, crisis issue affecting Europe, please do, and then let us know about what's been happening in your neck of the woods.
2: Uh, well, not really. Like, I, I think uh, in Europe, it's a different class of. Uh, it's a little bit different from America in that the immigrants coming in are mostly mu- seem to be Muslim, and the. Stick out a little lot more than baby Latinos in America because culturally, even though Americans think that um, Latinos and whites don't really have that much in common, but like from the outside, when I look in, it's to me there are more similarities than there are differences. Whereas there's a clear alien factor in having somebody from another civilization coming into your country. Well, that's and-
0: interesting. So you, when you look at it, because you are maybe. Civ, civilization, civilizationally, so different from the, the Western <laughs> countries. You're thinking, well, you know, Mexicans and Americans—they're kind of the same. Ah, they're,
2: they're the same. They're all yeah. paler, you know, <laughs> that kind of
0: thing. <laughs> I
1: see.
2: But um, yeah, when I was in, when I went to the UK, I myself found myself fitting in quite well. But that's because when I just got independence from the UK in 1984, mm. and my teachers were mostly English still hangovers and then they were i found myself fitting in quite well i could speak english quite well and all that and i wasn't already a really good muslim so i didn't pray in front of anyone <laughs> you know so people were yeah, like, oh, sure. you know it's one of us yeah. and also i was in ireland as opposed to england and i think irish people are a lot more welcoming than the english <laughs> i just then yeah
0: i i'm sure it's you're like, going to you're you're uh, the english are very self-loathing i'm sure they are <laughs> <lovely. laughs> As well, yeah, they do. Yeah. Um All right. So, tell us about maybe we can talk about your situation. That that could be oh, interesting. Yeah, could be. We didn't we didn't really talk about it, but you are in a kind of a difficult situation. We're joking around, but uh, things aren't super uh, cool oh, for you right now.
2: Not great. You know, um, last year I made a post on Facebook, and it landed me in a bit of legal trouble in which I got charged with sedition. Um, it was a post about um, I was critical of the new halal licensing. So in that, all new businesses in Brunei are uh, asked to, do, to have a new halal license and with its own sets of um, regulations and stuff. And I think I, I, I talked to you privately about this, uh, Patrick, mm-hmm. and... I wasn't really in my right frame of mind at that point. Um, it, it, um, two years leading up to that point, I was on a downward slide anyway. Um, and I've had a history of mental health issues. Not that that's in my responsibility or anything, but like, um, I just want people to understand that that wasn't really the normal thing I would do.
0: Is but, it? So what did you do? Like how how critical was this Facebook post?
2: Oh it was very critical. <laughs> <laughs> basically basically it was well, if you took away the F bombs and uh, obvious insults, I it was actually quite a re- well, aside from that, it was quite reasonable critic of the law itself. Um And I didn't mean to put it on to private, uh, to to public. I meant to put it on to only people who follow me could see it, you know. Mm. Uh, But uh, I I don't know what happened there. But then again, uh, I went to sleep on Sunday. When I woke up on Monday, it was viral. And I was shocked and I deleted it and everything. Mm. Um, I thought it was the way that I said it because people have said things like this before in a very nicer way and all that. I think it's the way that I said it was very explosive. That's why it was shared so quickly in such a short uh, bit of time. Also my position as a government officer, you'd rarely get government officers exploding like that, you know, and mm. for good reason. Um, so then- the post goes viral.
0: Um, you're basically criticizing a new law that's coming in with a lot of uh, cursing. Um mm. The someone in the government sees it. What do they charge you with, and what is the uh, the the penalty you you can incur?
2: I thought well, um, when I went to the uh, when the police called me and took my statement, and I went to court. All so that time, wait a second, thought, just so people understand. Uh, I think
0: it's really interesting to see how things happen uh, over there. When did the police so you thought, "Ah, oh, crap, my thing's gone viral. I deleted. Um, were you afraid that it would land you into trouble at that point? I
2: thought it would be letting me in trouble at work. Mm. I didn't think it would go that far, okay, at first so it, yeah, so when do the do the police call you? It was the day after. Um oh, wow. I went to work on Monday, and um uh, um when I went into work, I was called into a disciplinary hearing and I thought that was the end of it. And then I got a call from the police that afternoon asking me to show up at the police station the next day. So the next day, I was um, my, and a few days later, I was taken to court to be formally charged. And during this time, I th- before I got to court, my understanding was I was going to be charged with defamation. When I got to court, it turned out to be sedition which and that's why i if it was defama- defamation i might have if it was defamation it's not that i might have if it was defamation i would have said to the i would have pleaded it guilty because obviously my post was defaming but when it was sedition i went okay i i don't think i was seditious at all no. and that's why i'm challenging the um the 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 charge And just to say, the sedition charge is actually uh, directly comes from the old colonial days. When I say old, 50s, 60s, the British put in uh, the sedition charge as part of the, when they were losing their empire and there were lots of people calling for independence movement around the empire. That's when the sedition charge came in. And when these countries became independent, like Singapore, Malaysia, Africa, they left the sedition charge in their books. So that's what I'm being charged with.
0: Mm. So basically, thanks the english um,
2: the english the british i would say collectively i wouldn't right. i wouldn't blame just the english this time <laughs>
0: <laughs> thanks brits um, okay so so uh, again what are you risking now how bad could it be
2: but um it's not if you hear about it, it's not. It might not be too bad because the maximum sentence is two years in prison, and uh, I think it's five thousand years. Uh, five thousand years. My God, no. 5000 <laughs> five thousand uh, $5, dollar fine, and five thousand British dollars is roughly equivalent to the five thousand Australian dollars. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like much, but since this is such a small country, which is only five hundred thousand of us, and that would that already has an effect on my life. Um, I would never probably get a a job ever again, you know? Um, mm. I already get, like, you know, people, I already get the feeling that I'm being ostracized by the rest of society already. Um, there are a lot of people that don't talk to me anymore. And
0: So how viral did it get? Like, did the whole country see it?
2: Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people I don't know about, like, you know, would come up to me and say, I saw your post, kind of thing. Mm. And okay. it was like, huh. How do you know how to look like, you know? Mm. I was known before this thing came out because, you know, of my things that I did beforehand with the National Health Service and all that. But now I'm really known, kind of thing. So
0: So you had a little bit of a public persona before and that kind of... Um, So are there people who come to you and say, you know, great? Okay, <laughs> everyone. Everyone was negative about the post.
2: Everybody was fairly negative. Even if we go on Reddit, uh, anonymous post, most of it negative, and I, I accept that this is a, this is the country I chose. I could have chosen not to come back. You know, I did study in the, in the West. Um, I could have chosen not to. Um, somebody like me, who's probably not the kind of person who would be able to live in a country that uh that is. Expects a lot more from his citizens. Probably shouldn't be here. And what, but, what do you mean by that? Well, I've always been different. You know, I've always mm. been, I've always been a little bit. Um, the way I thought was always a little bit different to everybody else. But then again, I get that in the West too. Like right. you know, you, when I say when I say things, people. Say, well, that's a bit crazy. But it, I, we like, would know, think but then, we would West think West that it would
0: be it would be easier for you to live in the West, given that that you know frame of mind and difference.
2: Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Um, I miss home. <laughs> you know, right, right. I was yeah, away yeah, for nine years, like you know, and I missed home. And then when I came back, it, it was good, and I, I felt. I think I let it go to my head a little bit too much. I knew when I came in, I accepted the fact that I was supposed to control bits of myself, you know, and uh, failed on that part. So like,
0: so that's a, a, a regular part of life in Brunei. You have to, I don't want to say be careful about what you say, but be considerate maybe yes, about what, yes, how yes, you act it, and how.
2: Yeah. And then if I had worded my my words a little bit, uh, little bit nicer, well, not even a little bit. Uh, if I worded my words more carefully... If I search for a more appropriate forum to to talk about things, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be facing this this issue. I, mm-hmm. it, I don't take. I have to take responsibility for what I did, like, you know. Yeah. Um, I, do,
0: I You know, without trying to to uh, question how you're approaching this issue, it it it's hard to separate, um, because okay, I'll say it like this for yeah. someone in in the west the way they would react to a uh, a uh, a charge like this on a facebook post however uh you know how however many curse words were included would be oh that's bs and and you know i don't deserve this and blah 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 you know freedom of speech all of this um yeah. it seems like i don't know how how much of this is you know genuine but it it sounds genuine like you're approaching it from a different uh, perspective you chose to go back to Brunei and it seems like you wanted to be there and to be uh, uh, an appropriate I don't know if that's a good way of characterizing it an appropriate member of society um, but
2: yeah um, I see what you mean I see, I see what you mean but um, uh, the way I see it is if I was in the West and I did this and this happened to me I would react like somebody in the West would right. you know uh, this has this always this been a thing for me. My granddad told me, like, you know, um, obey the sky you're under, something like that. Well, it directly Direct translation from Malay. Mm. I think it loses something in the translation. No, I, I but, think it works. Obey
1: the sky no, you're it, under. It sounds it's, like the phrase, when in Rome, for us. Oh, yeah. Basically, basically, it was the yeah. Romans, yeah, are, When in yeah. Rome. But I like yeah, yeah. obey the and, sky you're under more. Yeah, it's more poetic. It, which yeah, so, I think, you
0: know, some of the people who are uh, defending the closed, policies might say well obey the sky you're under person who's trying to get under our sky but anyway sorry keep going so
2: i've got was trying to say (laughs) (laughs) but like yeah um i chose to be here and uh with that i accepted responsibility for what i was going to do and the reason why people might say that oh i'm saying this because i'm still in brunei and uh my case is next week so i don't want to say anything and all that yes that has a factor I I am choosing my words very carefully because my case is ongoing. On the other hand, I do believe and I still believe in the system that we have. And I don't believe that Brunei would ever become or should be a real democracy. I think we should stay here at our constitutional monarchy system and maybe tweak it a little bit here and a little bit there Mm. because... The monarchy is Brunei, and the Brunei is not the monarchy. If we didn't have the monarchy, we would be part of Malaysia by now, and then that sense of identity would be lost. Mm. You know, so it, it was the only reason Brunei exists is because the monarchy chose not to join, and, and that, that's the only reason for our prosperity. Because if we would join Malaysia, we'd be just. We would have to live at Malaysia's standard of living and all that, and I would never so, have the opportunity.
0: What's the to standard go to of the West. living in What's the standard of living in, in Brunei?
2: It's quite high. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's European standards. Okay. Um, I would say that. Uh, well, yeah, European standards. Um, even though our GDP per capita is not as high as those in Europe, because we're much closer to Asia, and all our products come from the rest of Asia, it's much easier and cheaper here. Okay. So okay. It's a combination of oil and being close to Asia. I
3: see. I see.
0: Um, all right, I think we're running a little bit long, so if it's okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- this this will be our uh, our Brunei story. Um,
2: oh, no. Oh, you to want it? Okay, story. go ahead. And,
0: and then we'll go to William. Go
2: ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, it'll take a few minutes. So, like, um, the biggest thing that about Brunei last month is the Eid celebration. Right. Yeah. So that's the end of Ramadan, end of the fasting month. And I I, I don't know if you know, but in order, the, the month of Ramadan is a little different for Muslims. At the beginning of Ramadan, you are supposed to look for, uh, do a sighting for the, for the new moon. And if you don't see it, then the next day is not the first day of Ramadan, it's the day after. Okay. And that's the same thing for the end of Ramadan. So for the past four or five years it's always been that we did not see the new moon for the sighting so everybody was expecting all right you know we have an extra day just like last year <laughs> you know kind of thing and then suddenly seven thirty at night just everybody it was announced the new moon was sighted and everybody panicked because they didn't <laughs> like you know just imagine like christmas coming a day earlier and you don't have any of your presents <laughs> like you know and, I couldn't get to the shop. The shop is just five minutes from my house, right? There was a huge traffic jam. Like, you know, I could, it was easier for me to just walk to the shop. It was just madness. <laughs> Total madness. But that's it. <laughs> okay.
0: No, that's a funny one. That's a funny one. And, and I think it, it explains very well that you should be prepared and not necessarily expect Things like that, but... Um, exactly,
2: exactly. Why, why,
0: wouldn't know, people, why would people expect it to be a day late because it was late last year? Like the it's wound. always been like
2: that, though. It's yeah, always but, been like that, you know? <laughs> I right. can expect it as well, you know? But, and, uh,
0: you didn't prepare because, either, so okay, you're not throwing the first no, stone.
2: No, I didn't prepare either. I, everything was horrible. It was a horrible Eid for me because I, I was not prepared. My clothes were horrible. I didn't get anything... <laughs> It's terrible. Oh, it was the
0: aid moon <laughs> sighting, not the Ramadan moon sighting. Okay. Yeah, it's the eight uh, moon sighting. Okay. No. Um all right. Uh let's bring us home, William, what has been happening. So I think you're gonna be talking about uh about Ireland not Germany
3: yes 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 and perhaps not even oh. about Ireland more about uh, about the UK and brexit although there is a saying in Ireland when when uh, England catches when England sneezes Ireland catches a cold and mm-hmm. uh, I think Ireland is in danger of getting a dose of Ebola or anthrax or something given the, <laughs> uh, the given the health of the of the um, British body politic I won't Um, dwell on it long, but I would have to say I disagree with Shah. I think if you don't have democracy, you can avoid some problems, but only for a while. Um, And I don't even go into the reasons why Brexit was voted through in the referendum in the UK two years ago, two years ago, let's not forget that. Um, But the real issue is that um, Theresa May very foolishly called an election, thought she would get a large majority. In fact, she lost her majority entirely. And very ironically, she is now dependent on a very small party from Northern Ireland, which is a fundamentalist Christian party um, mm-hmm. for, for her majority. They have 10 seats, uh, which is Yeah, we, we talked vast- about this uh, a yeah, few weeks this is ago. vastly mm-hmm. more than their amount of votes would justify. But there are uh, reasons to do with the fact that Britain is not a very democratic country. Country that they do have 10 seats, they would their vote would perhaps justify one seat in the in, in the parliament, but they have 10. That that puts Theresa May over the line, which makes her Prime Minister. It also puts her over a barrel because her 316, I think, MPs. Are nothing compared to the Trump card that the uh, that the DUP have, um, and Tom might be familiar with the way that Americans, people in the US, view the Deep South as being a uh, perhaps slightly reactionary but certainly very religious area, and we view the places in in Northern Ireland as the Deep North. Of uh, can I say <laughs> can, sure? Can I say can I say just as I was part of Northern Ireland for nine years? Oh, uh, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it is slightly delicious to have British people saying, "What the hell are these people you're sending us over?" Uh, and the, the the same party that they've been urging people in Northern Ireland to work with for the last twenty years. Um, and I was I, I spoke to one uh, British friend who, with with a look of shock on his face said, and I've heard that some of these people don't even believe in evolution. And I was able to tell him, none of them believe in evolution. (laughs) None None of them. them. (laughs) This is the area where the the local councils, the local authorities where this party controls, they hire somebody to go around on Saturday night with bicycle locks to lock down the swings and the seesaws in the... uh, playgrounds in the children's playgrounds and only unlock them on Monday morning in case anybody would break the Sabbath by uh, having their child swing on a swing in a playground Jeez. um
0: wait is that so you you lived there for a little bit is that your experience of the place it would seem like you were you would disagree.
2: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree. That is okay. quite a lot of. That is quite a lot of Belfast. Uh, well, West Belfast, the Boucher Road, bits of Belfast. Um, did you? It, because the Catholic bits tend to not be like that. They tend to be a little bit more mm, socialist-minded, because of the politics they hold, and, and, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And I rarely strayed out of the university area in South Belfast.
0: Um, Ah, you stayed in an elitist uh, intellectual stronghold. Yes, yes, this
3: absolutely does not describe (laughs) the whole of Northern Ireland, (laughs) um, but there are certainly some, some areas like that and... Uh the, the strange uh, electoral system that the UK have it does this. There is a, Theresa May has a second difficulty because one faction of her cabinet, so all of her ministers, even though she relies on these 10 DUP MPs, all of her ministers are from the Conservative okay. Party. Some of them are hardline, what are called Brexiteers. That's to say hardline anti-European want to have nothing whatsoever to do with uh, the EU. And others of them are not insane. And they cannot agree amongst themselves. So two years ago, the British voted for Brexit. We are now in June. By October, that's to say three or four months away, they will need to have signed off on a deal with the EU on exactly how they arrange their departure from the EU. They have not yet agreed amongst themselves what deal they're looking for. And in Ireland, we've had various politicians. One of them is uh, Phil Hogan. He's the Ireland's European Commissioner. So he's, he's, he's uh, part of the EU government, essentially, nominated by Ireland. Another is the Tanisha, the Deputy Prime Minister and the Foreign Minister, a guy called Simon Coveney. And both of them have been speaking in the past couple of days. And they've been speaking very diplomatically. They haven't used any strong words, certainly not the sort, of, sort of language perhaps that Shah would have used in his uh, tweet. They've been speaking <laughs> in very measured tones. So
0: more like Tom, but, basically, a little bit more. Yes, uh, yes,
3: yes. But the the message is unmistakable. It is that these people are impossible to deal with. They can't even decide on what <laughs> they want, let alone uh, uh, let alone what they are willing to negotiate. And I think... It, and to touch briefly on, on the vote on Brexit, uh, Ireland. Uh, in Ireland we have referendums very, very regularly. Uh, there was one just a few weeks ago uh, and I think on average maybe there will be one or two referendums every year. Some of them are high profile. Some of them are, you know, people are not so interested in. They kind of go through on the knot. But Ireland has a very high level of, shall I say, um, uh, civil experience with running Mm. referendums. There has only previously been one referendum in Britain which was 40 years ago, which was for Britain joining the EU. That's the only other. So basically anybody voting in the Brexit referendum, only a tiny minority of them were were alive and of age to vote in the previous one referendum that had happened in the UK.
0: But so what's and happening if they don't get their act together by October I mean, nope. because I don't think nope. the the EU is going to be very keen on saying, uh, oh, we can do it later." I think they're they're <laughs> they want to send a message and and say, "Well, tough shit, you're out." I,
3: I think that's actually a mistake, Patrick. And I think really? that the yeah, I think that the um, the that narrative. That of what the that the EU want to punish Britain, or the EU want to send them, uh, you know, send a message, or the EU want to um, want to make sure that nobody else follows Britain. I think that's a mistake, and that's one of the mistakes that the British are making. What the EU is essentially run by Germans, and they are highly process driven. There's a set of rules; it's written down, and come hell or high water, they follow that set of rules. Sometimes even to its irrational end, mm. and. Every time the British come back with some sort of crazy uh, new set of uh, half proposals, the, the the they say that's not what's available within the rules. But to to answer your question directly, Patrick, um, there is a potential for very very serious problems. So one thing that could happen if they don't get a deal, it is possible. If all 27 other EU countries unanimously agree, it is possible to have um, to prolong the process to keep Britain in the EU or to keep Britain perhaps partially in the EU while they negotiate further. So that's possible. But the one thing about that is that it requires all 27 other governments to agree unanimously. And there is endless scope for one or other country to see an advantage in
0: of course, yeah. In in not in, agree, in yes.
3: delaying on that, or just drumming their fingers and says, well we'll agree to that if we get what we want. And of course if one if, if one country does that, then the temptation is for many others to do that. But let me just give you a couple of a couple of uh um, difficulties that could arise so it, it, the phrase is crashing out if the eu just if Britain, if the uk just crashes out of the eu on the 29th of march next and very appropriately people wake up on monday morning the 1st of april they will discover that That uh, every airline in the world that flies international flights needs to follow an agreement between the two countries that they're flying to and from. And way back in the bad old days, uh, if you wanted to fly from, uh, have flights from France to the United States, then France and the United States had to agree a treaty between them. If you wanted to fly from Belgium uh, to the United States, then you had to have a treaty between Belgium and the United States. The EU scrapped all of that and they created what's called open skies. And they essentially made the whole of the EU one domestic country. So any airline can fly from anywhere in Europe to anywhere.
0: And it's not like the UK couldn't do it, but they haven't. They, they
3: don't they don't yeah. have that agreement. They could, on the first of April next year, start negotiating with all twenty seven different EU countries to create a deal to fly between those countries. But again, each of those countries might not be as highly motivated to add one country to their list as the UK would be, and would could be expected to start looking for looking for concessions. Mm, Um, Of course. Another another issue is what happens? Do you check things? Do you uh, um what happens at the border. And there's one iconic factory in Sunderland in the UK. So the British motor industry in the 70s, 80s, 90s really declined enormously to the point that the most iconic car ever produced in Britain, the Mini, if you've ever seen Mr. Bean, that brand (laughs) was bought by BMW. And now Mini is a German car made in Germany by a German car company.
0: But that's why the Brexiters
3: want to Brexit, to make the UK great again. (laughs) And- <laughs> well, well that's that's well, that's what you think but for example the that nissan car company which makes a large portion of uh, the cars sold in britain and exports quite a lot to the uk they import 200,000 components for every hour they operate if they're then told that they have to get customs clearance for each one of those The potential for chaos there, and to put it bluntly, many thousands of people in an area that voted very strongly for Brexit losing their jobs, is obvious. But you know, you're
0: operating under, I mean, now your guiding principle is logic. And I think if the past two Mm -hmm. years have taught us anything, it's that logic does nothing for the people who are angry. Um, Yes. So... I mean, we can, we can list all of the very real issues all of this will create. I don't mm-hmm. think it would make those people move an inch. And that's no. the tragedy of it all. But,
3: no, I'll uh, tell you what will make them move. Hunger. <laughs> and and I'm and that's literally I just spoke to I interviewed uh, I haven't put it up yet for my own Irish podcast um, uh, a Cambridge professor who was one of the very few academics who is pro- brexit and I sought him out because he is pro- brexit uh, and uh, he said first of all that um, the food industry in the UK would be likely to be decimated. but that doesn't really matter because we won't be able to get European workers. Polish and Romanian people to pick uh, various and collect various foods in the fields of Britain. So probably what will happen is those uh, those crops will be grown in Poland and imported, and that seems to me, and just in terms of uh, food security, not a very uh, not a very sensible way to go about things. But one of the well, I things think it's that a good they...
0: illustration of the fact that the people who come here wherever here is, usually don't take your job. They take the job that you don't want to do, right? I mean, it's a a very common thing to say, but
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's Um, true. We do have to wind things down, William. If I were to just finish the point, Patrick, very, very quickly, that the advantage that the Brexiteers have been selling on this is that they will then be able to strike free trade agreements, which as a member of the EU, they're not allowed to do. They'll be able to strike free trade agreements with the rest of the world. And that's true under the WTO, but one of the issues there is to sell, and you can use the example then of cars that are made in Britain. One of the issues is you can't just create a screwdriver plant. That's to say, buy all your components from China, minimally assemble them, and then sell them in in a free trade zone, because these international agreements require typically that a minimum of 50% of your components – come from the country where you're where you are declaring your your product to come from right currently there is not even one british car manufacturer that has so much as 25 percent of their components coming from their own country so they're buying in their the, the large majority of their components so not only would they not be able to produce cars Potentially, or not be able to produce them very easily for their home market, they wouldn't be able to export them as as British either. And that the, the uh, I really get the sense we are going full speed in a juggernaut towards a cliff, and I feel like Wiley Coyote, we're going to be like still running <laughs> for that couple of seconds after we go over the cliff. But once those hit, that seems to be a lot of problems being stored up.
0: And that's why you're in Germany now. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> you you need to run away, my away. my irish passport
0: <laughs> right right um uh, yeah yeah go ahead tom
1: no Oh, it wasn't me no
0: oh it wasn't you okay sorry um yeah so yeah brexit um october that's gonna come i can't believe it's been almost two years already
2: mm-hmm. uh, it's been more than two years yeah more. My, my only worry about that is like um the border coming back between northern ireland and ireland because mm-hmm. we used to nip over the border watch a movie, nip back, like, you know, the border didn't exist for for us. We just drove on through. And then now there'll be a hard border between, there might be a hard border between Ireland and Northern Ireland. And I can't imagine Northern Ireland having a hard border with the down south, like, you know,
1: it's- Well, that that seems to be causing no end of trouble for, for Theresa May, is she wants to continue to honor that porous border, but also have a hard border with Europe. And hey, those are the same thing. It's very it is Schrodinger's
3: border. They want it to yeah. exist and not exist at the <laughs> right, same time. Right. <laughs> you know, I
1: still, th- those issues
0: are so profound and so deep and so have so uh, uh, momentous consequences that I still, in a corner of my mind, I think it's not going to happen somehow. There's going to be something, you know, either... Some again with superheroes that comes down and saves everything,
1: like Tony Blair know, in a cape.
0: I, I was From gonna the, say, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, something like that, um, or I don't know. I mean, I like the the animated corpse of Winston Churchill comes back and, and <laughs> strikes a deal, or
1: Zombie Churchill.
0: Zombie Churchill do, is gonna. I
3: save
2: really me. like that. Okay, I do like that. I
0: Zombie Churchill sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you know the the, the Queen takes a sword and and strikes down the evildoers or i don't know um but yeah Violent. i guess we'll see wow. <laughs> yeah for some reason i i frame my understanding of political issues in uh, action movie terms um all right well i guess that's going to be it for our episode today thank you very much to all three of you for joining me it was super mm. interesting um tom why don't you tell people where they can get more of tom if they so wish
1: Sure. Uh, Patrick is part of the crew that helps me to do the Daily Tech News Show, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a daily show where we go through the tech news of the day. You can find that at DailyTechNewsShow.com. And I do several other podcasts about TV and movies and geeky topics. Uh, and I even write some novels. And you can find information about all of that at TomMerritt.com.
0: Fantastic. Shah, what about you? If they want you know, to follow you on Facebook because maybe you have some uh, interesting views on
2: things, for example. <laughs> I deleted all that. I, uh, I only have my, my Twitter. What is my Twitter? Oh, yeah. uh, your oh, my Twitter, Twitter, Twitter is Shasplains. Mm. Yeah, Shahsplain. S H A H P L A I N S. I was planning to do like um uh, uh, like you know Chassplain videos. Like I would explain things happening in Brunei and regionally and around the world and stuff like that. Um, it's the same thing on YouTube. Shaft and you can reach me over there. And then hopefully, after this all blows over with my case, in either two years or maybe next month, um, I'll be doing that as, the, uh, as a pathway to a new career, I hope. Excellent. <laughs> um, well, I mean,
0: good luck with your case. Please do let us know how it goes. Um, I'm crossing all the it fingers I have. Uh, Thank you very much. William, what about yourself? Yes.
3: Oh, very simply, challengingopinions.com. Do you have a Twitter account? I do. It's just at ChallengingO. I'm not terribly active on Twitter. Uh, I do announce the shows and so forth. Um, but you can subscribe uh, uh, on the challengingopinions.com website. Fantastic. Thank
0: you very much uh, to all three of you. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can also find this show at uh, Frenchspin.com. If you want to comment, let us know what you think about any of the topics we discussed. Um, and if you want to support the show, you can do so financially at patreon at patreon.com/thephiliaas Club. The show is entirely supported by its patrons, so if they didn't exist, you wouldn't get it. It's as simple as that. If you think the show is interesting, brings you something, a good time, an interesting time, a uh, 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 hmm, challenging time, <laughs> please do consider becoming a patron as well. You know the system for Patreon. You just decide how much you want to give per episode and then you you get charged every month and you can stop anytime you want. So if you enjoy the show, please do consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash club. Thank you very much to those who already do. You are the light of my life. Well, I mean, a little bit dimmer than my wife and child, but still, part of the lights of my life. (laughs) All right, thanks, everyone. Uh, I'm actually going to go see how the little one is doing because it seems he's very unhappy with his current condition. So I'll go do that, and we'll talk to you again in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
1: he wants that, to watch man. france peru <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh i didn't even mention the world cup i don't you know i don't even know what's happening there
2: i do not follow that at all i have i have no idea what's happening i can hear my f- uh my family li- uh, watching it right now like I, don't I have other things to think about
3: yeah, i'm missing yeah. that gene i have to say
1: yeah me too
3: what you're irish and you i don't like watch i like that yeah, the u.s
1: true. person is the only one who knows what's going on in the world Cup. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>